Well, good morning, church. It's great to connect with you here this morning. I know that many of you have been burdened with the decision-making of how we each are supposed to reopen in-person in our society. And I know some of you have been feeling the weight of that decision when it comes to in-person worship as we have re-entered our building. Just so you know, we, we recognize the weight and the difficulty and the discomfort of that decision. And everyone really needs to make their own decision on that. And there is plenty of grace to go around in the decisions that you need to make for you and your household as to how you might begin to be in person with other people in all spectrums of society, but especially church. And I know that me and my house, we, we've been wrestling with that as well. We've begun to open our circles just a little bit. We specifically have been engaging with my parents and my in-laws and letting the kids see their, their grandparents, and that's been a real joy. One of the things we have been planning to do all summer, and we've begun to do a little bit, is to visit my in-laws at their little cottage or their little trailer on Lake Erie at Catawba Island. And one of the fun things about this place on Catawba Island is, well, yes, the fishing and the swimming and the sunsets, and it's just a wonderful place. But one of the things that my wife and I love to do, especially early on, is we love to dump the kids off to the grandparents and go for a walk and actually have a conversation. And one of the things that we like to do is we like to sneak ourselves into a private gated community because it just has these amazing views and it's just a wonderful walk. And these homes that are overlooking Lake Erie, they are just breathtaking. They're humongous and unique and, and luxurious. And we love to look at them, the little details. And, you know, we love to ask ourselves, I wonder what the people that live here or stay here, wonder what their lives are like. I mean, by the way, these are their staying homes. These are not their living in homes. They're just the staying homes. I wonder what their lives could be like. And as we've done this over the years, we have observed a little bit of a caricature. And, and granted, this is going to be a stereotype, but it, it's a stark caricature of what we kind of see in wider society. And that, and that is that you have these people that have means. They have these amazing, luxurious homes that they don't even live in most of the time. But then these homes need to be worked on. They need maintenance and upkeep. And every once in a while, the market will fluctuate and they will be for sale and new buyers will come in and want to update their homes. And so there's a lot of working crews that also come through the gates of this private community. And it's a very stark contrast, you see, of, of two different people groups, really, of people that have the means and, and those that are working for the people that have the means. But there's also a third group that's there. It's very interesting. My wife and I fall in this group. And those, that, that's the group that are pretenders. <laughs> we pretend like we belong to the gated community because otherwise we wouldn't be allowed in and have this nice walk to ourselves. And so we pretend. And I realize that's probably not a group that you want to be a, a part of. But I think it illustrates and describes really a, the, the different people groups that we find in wider society that we may not recognize on a day-to-day -day basis in the mall or at the restaurant or in the grocery store. And so through this, I, I illustrate all of this to begin to open up a conversation that we're going to be engaged in over the next couple of months in a series called Blessed Are Those. And what this series is going to do is it's going to force us to take a look at how we look at what is good or, or valuable in life and how we structure our mindsets around that. 
And we're specifically going to do this by looking at a section of scripture in the book of Matthew called the Beatitudes. The Beatitude means a, a blessing or one who is in a state of blessing or one who is in a state of privilege. Now, I know that word has been thrown around a lot lately in our social discussions, and I'll just put that lightly. Um, I had a friend that contacted me recently, uh, privately, and someone had used the phrase, check your privilege. And he's a, a, a faithful believer, and, and he wanted to know and learn and grow, and he described to me his worldview and his perspective, and he wanted to know, what does it really mean to check my privilege? And we actually had a really good conversation. And through this series, as we cover these different Beatitudes, these social issues and crises and conversations probably will come up. They may come even to the forefront as you discover them. But really what we want to do is even move beyond those stereotypes and really turn the question on each individual person and how we have been defining what we perceive as the good life. What God wants to do is to help us redefine how we see, quote unquote, the good life. The good life that we aspire to, that we work for, how we've defined certain things, both socially and individually as ourselves. And one of the things that um, we hear from in God speaking into this is a perspective that might be very different from our own. Let's begin with the word blessed. And you'll see this word repeated over and over again for each of the Beatitudes. The word blessed in the scriptures is really the same meaning that you find people using it today. People say that they are blessed and usually what they mean is that they've hit a certain circumstance or a state of circumstances that they feel very fortunate about. So on some level, it could be just the avoidance of troubles or trials or difficulties in life. But for others, it really could be uh, that they've come into some kind of fortune. Maybe they came into wealth or, or certain type of means and they say that they are blessed. But in addition to that, it also means it speaks to God's role in all of that, what God would say to all of that. That yes, they've run into fortunate circumstances, but it is God who has blessed them or given them favor so that they would have it. Now on one hand, it's simply a gesture of thanksgiving, right? To, to give thanks to the great giver of gifts for all the things that we have. But it also creates a bit of a problem for us and a, a series of questions that we often see asked and thought about in the world around us. That as much as someone would proclaim that they are blessed because of the circumstances around them, there will always be, always be someone living on the other side of the tracks that looks at their own misfortune. And while the other person is saying that God has favored them because of their fortunes, the other person is looking at their misfortune and wondering, so does God not like me? You see, these are the types of questions that, that pop up when we begin to investigate what does it mean to be blessed? And I think one of the helpful things as we allow God to speak into this is maybe just to admit off the forefront that we're just not good at defining good. That we're just not good at defining what is the valuable life. Think for, for a second about plans that you've made, things that you were anticipating and excited about, but once you actually did them, they fell flat and you were left disappointed. 
We're not good at defining ultimately what is good and what is not good. What is the favored life and what is the not favored life? I've shared before that I spent a lot of time in Haiti. I lived there three years as a missionary. And while I was living in the poorest country of the Western Hemisphere, there was a new popularity amongst Christianity that started to rise up. And we know it now as the prosperity gospel. And what many of these different preachers were proclaiming is that um, because of the favor of God, they have been blessed with material means. And what God wants to do as you live into God's will is to rich you, to bless you with these riches whether it's a larger house or boats or whatever the case might be. And that that is the tangible evidence of God working in your life that you could share with the world. And I looked around me as I was hearing this message. I looked around me and I realized this message will never fly. And if the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everybody and this specific message isn't for everybody, then maybe this is not a gospel of Jesus Christ. We're just not good at defining what is the good life. And we need help in, help in defining what it is that is good and valuable and worth pursuing in this specific life. And that's what God wants to speak into and specifically what we find in the Beatitudes. Jesus begins a preaching and teaching moment in something called the Sermon on the Mount. And he crawls up onto a mountain and he begins to, to teach his disciples. And he starts it off by saying this in chapter th- 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now it's helpful to know a little bit about the build-up to this moment. In the book of Matthew, we find in the first several chapters, there's a concerted effort of validating the person and the ministry of Jesus. You have a whole section of genealogy that traces Jesus directly to King David, the most heralded king in the Jewish world. And then as Jesus begins his ministry, he is endorsed by God through his own baptism where a voice from heaven says, this is my son through whom I am well pleased. After that, Jesus finds himself being tested and tempted. And there in itself, you find that Jesus is victorious over the temptations of the evil one, thus validating that this man holds supernatural power even over the temptations that Satan could bring to him. And then he begins to start his ministry. And he begins to heal the sick and tend to the, to the poor and to the lame. He begins to minister to those out of supernatural power. And you get a glimpse, if you're a first century reader of this story, wow, this man is really special. And if you're a Jewish person, you understand the argument that's being made here that this is the very Messiah of God. And in the notion of greatness, in the notion that that people had of this great Messiah that would usher in the very kingdom of God and bring about victory on earth, they understood this person to be a hero, to be a political leader, to be great in the eyes of the world, and even to conquer the so-called kings of the world. But then Jesus begins to shift their thinking, and he does it specifically when he calls his disciples. Because he goes directly into the areas of Galilee, not the central city center of Jerusalem, which was considered to be God's city. He goes into the outskirts. 
And he tends to fishermen and calls them forth, people that are of the working class. And he says, come and follow me. And he goes about his ministry tending to the people in that area which were considered to be the poor. And it's out of that notoriety and out of that context and with that specific audience, Jesus crawls up onto the hill out of a, a, a central preaching message that we see in chapter 4, verse 17. And this is the sermon topic of Jesus throughout his whole life. It is this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so this sets the stage for Jesus' first beatitude. Blessed are the poor, because what? The, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. It's not those that are great in the eyes of society. It's not, it's not those that had political influence that are widely admired in society. It's not those, the upper crust of society, the wealthy, those that have means. It's the poor. The poor are the ones that are blessed and that the kingdom of heaven is near to them. Now, there's a great deal of confusion, rightly so, as Jesus preaches this message. Not only for us as modern readers, but really for people of that day as well. If you look at Luke chapter 6, you find that it doesn't say poor in spirit at all. It says, blessed are the poor. And that leaves us wondering, and many people have debated, well, which is it? Is it poor in spirit or is it poor? And the answer should be yes. Because in that day, to be blessed by material means, was to have the direct favor of God. It was a spiritual blessing. Yes, it was a material blessing, but it was also a spiritual blessing. And so the poor in spirit, conversely, were also the poor in society of that day. Now, I've studied this and I've read this, these Beatitudes many different times. And one of the things that has unfortunately happened over, over the years is that people have begun to see this kind of like a prescription from Jesus that in order to be blessed by God, we need to be poor or to be poor in spirit. And that draws a lot of confusion. Well, what does it mean that if in a formulaic sense that we would be blessed if we were to enter into these specific situations? But that's not really at all what Jesus is saying there. In fact, it's more descriptive than it is prescriptive in this way. Remember that the poor was his audience of that day. And to recognize their poor state or their state of, of class in society was simply a way of recognizing that they are there in front of him. He was describing the audience, the very audience that he was speaking to. There's a great book on the Beatitudes uh, by one of my favorite authors. His name is Dallas Willard. And he has this book called The Divine Conspiracy. And in that, he describes a little bit about the false notions that we have around the Beatitudes. And to set the record straight, here's what he says. He says, those poor in spirit are called blessed by Jesus. And not because they're in a meritorious condition but because precisely in spite of and in the midst of their ever so deplorable condition, the rule of the heavens has moved redemptively upon and through them by the grace of Christ. So why does Jesus do this? 
And we know that Jesus doesn't simply exclude his ministry to the poor in society. He also calls tax collectors to be one of his disciples and he ministers to them. Tax collectors were by no means poor. They certainly were despised though. But we also see Jesus ministering to Romans and uh, Pharisees and other people in society. And so certainly Jesus is not being exclusive to the poor, but he starts his ministry to the poor. And it's important to ask, why does he do that? In my experience, there's something about the witness of those that are impoverished situations that those more in privileged situations need to pay more attention to. As I mentioned, I spent time three years in Haiti and I really sensed that it was time to go back into the United States and attend seminary. And so as I began my seminary studies, I took a job as a youth pastor and I was a youth pastor at a church in a very wealthy area. And there was a very stark contrast to my experience because when I minister to people in the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere and experienced some of the deepest tragedies that you could ever imagine people to face, there was a very strong undercurrent and a very pervasive sense of joy, of, of happiness. It was so clear and evident. You couldn't ignore it. There was just a joy amongst what you would otherwise call a suffering people. And yet, when I moved in back to the United States in a wealthier area and started to minister to teenagers in that area, even though these teenagers had all kinds of means, all kinds of things given to them in life, there was a pervasive sadness. Some were cutting themselves. Some were dealing with bipolar disorder or clinical depression. There was this undercurrent of sadness, even though these individuals had so much. And this irony and this contrast was so clear to me, it maybe made me ask the question, I really feel as though this was the voice of the Lord asking me, what does it really mean to be poor? You know, I think Jesus was starting his ministry with the poor. Because there is something particularly powerful about the witness of those that are poor or oppressed or marginalized or suffering. You know, my black brothers and sisters have been really in a state of mourning throughout our country. And I know it's brought about a lot of arguments and infighting and culture wars and all of that. But... When I look at Jesus and, and how he recognizes the poor in his very first sermon, I get from that a commissioning to say that as I see my brothers and my sisters and the people around me hurting and suffering, I need to listen to that. I need to hear their outcries. I need to understand more where they're coming from because it's that witness that so oftentimes people in privileged or blessed situations tend to ignore and yet their witness is so powerful of who God is and how God tends to those that are crying out. You know, there's a phrase that I've heard long ago and it, it still rings true in my mind and that is that, that those that are flat on their back can see heaven that much more clearly. And I think this is why Jesus started his ministry with the poor. To allow the witness of the poor to speak to the redemptive work of God in Jesus Christ 
so that whoever we are and whatever situation we might find ourselves in, we know that God tends to that sense of poverty within ourselves as well. Yes, we all have a sense of poverty. There all is a, for each of us, a, a void or, or something that is missing within us. And it's directly in those spaces that Jesus wants to meet us and do his redemptive work through all of us. And so out of this, I, I want to offer a, a series of encouragements that despite the people groups that we find ourselves in and the arguments that we find ourselves in society, that all of us, as we recognize our hurts, the poverty within us, the voids, the, the things that are lacking, Jesus wants to meet us in those spaces and do his redemptive work. So out of that, I want to offer a, a three different encouragements. The first encouragement, all of them come from this beatitude. The first encouragement is that in his greatness, Jesus sees our poverty. This includes the things that we work tirelessly to avoid and distract ourselves from. Oh, we talk about this all the time in our Celebrate Recovery ministry. It's those things that we're ashamed about, those hurts of the past, the wounds that we carry deep inside of us that we try so hard to cover up and pretend that they're not there and go about our days with smiles on our faces even though we're hurting and we're pained inside. And I often thought about that when I do my little stroll in the private gated community. That it only in appearance does it seem as though those people have it all together. But I know better than that. I know that they live lives just like everybody else and that they cannot avoid the pain and the suffering of this world. Jesus sees us in that. Jesus looks at all the things that we try to cover up and minister to us in that, just as he did with his audience of the poor in his first sermon. The second encouragement I'd love to give to you is that our poverty is not to be shamed, but to be opened to Jesus who loves us in it. It's not a source of shame when we bring it to God because it's directly in those spaces that we carry shame that God loves. I heard a story one time from one of my seminary professors and he had been a successful pastor at one time, but it led to burnout and eventually he found himself in a mental institution. And that series of memories and events carries so much shame and so much regret of his past. And he came to a place much later in life where God began to speak to him because he recognized that he hated that former self that was in the mental institution. He didn't like that former person. He was ashamed of that person. And God began to speak to him and say, yeah, but I love that person. Let's go back and let's go get him. And so he went on a pilgrimage and he went back to that old church that had, event, had rejected him and he had experienced so much hurt. He visited the mental institution and revisited that former self. And in that, God brought about a tremendous amount of redemption and healing for him. Our poverty is not to be shamed, but to be open because that's exactly the spaces that Jesus loves us. 
And so finally, the final encouragement is that, you know, we don't have to strive for the good life. We don't have to be pretenders. We, we don't have to carry ourselves and striving for a certain value or a certain position that the world has created. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. The, the kingdom of God is here and now. It's for us in our own poverty. The kingdom of God is there for us. And in that, we're blessed. We don't have to strive for something more or feel as though we need more fulfillment in life. We are simply blessed because the kingdom of God is at hand. So I'd like to pray for us that whatever value system we create and whether or not we we find ourselves striving for those things or angry at our current state or situation, maybe it's because of the pandemic that find ourselves very fearful and worried about what might be. I want to encourage you today that when Jesus comes to the crowd of poor people and says, blessed are the poor for the kingdom of God is at hand, he's speaking to us in our own poverty. Let's pray together. Holy God, thank you for this time. And I pray, God, that you would minister to us as we recognize and come to terms with our own poverty. And sometimes, God, that might mean digging a little bit deeper and facing some regrets and wounds of our past. But I know, God, that you see that already and that you love that part of us and that you wish to redeem us in that. Thank you for the Beatitudes. Help us to wrestle and to question and to consider what is the way of life that you are calling us to? A way of life that's so different than the good life that this world frames for us. How can we live that life, Lord? That is our desire. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in your homes, there's going to be a series of questions that pop up. And I just encourage you to stick around, whether if you're by yourself, you can reflect on these or, or even journal. Or if you're with loved ones, kind of discuss and back and forth. A series of questions from this message and from the scripture. And my prayer is that you would be blessed throughout this week as you wrestle with some of these words, tough words of Jesus, especially in light of all the things that we are facing in the world around us. Would you be blessed as God invites you, invites you into his blessed and holy kingdom that is full of justice and grace and truth and beauty and peace. That's the place where I want to be with my brothers and sisters, with the church. So I pray that this week, God would invite us into that space and we would respond. Have a great week. God bless you guys. And we'll see you again next week as we cover the second part of the Beatitudes.